Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So, Guy, Nick Mason's source full of secrets, of which we are um, two-fifths, right? Uh, we're going back out on the road in the summer across the UK. We are. We're, it's all of June, so brace yourself. What's it called? It's called the Set the Control Store. What a brilliant name. Who do you uh, think could have come up with such a great name for a tour, Gary? I wonder. I think yeah. I'm looking at him, right? But then right. I did come up with uh, Nick Mason's source full of secrets. You did, and in fact, that came up in a podcast then because you were inspired by Woody Woodman's Is You Boat, weren't you? I was, yes. Anyway, anyway, but enough of that. So... Join Nick, Guy, Lee Harris, uh, Don Beacon and me as we celebrate the early years with, you know, that incredible, it's an incredible body of work, isn't it? The early Pink Floyd. It goes up to just before Dark Side of the Moon. goes up to 1972, with all the film soundtracks, all the Sid stuff, stuff you've never yeah. heard, stuff that no one's ever Echoes, heard, frankly. Obviously. Echoes is the big sort of, you and, know, uh, uh, what is that? What would you call it? Magnum Opus. Yeah, I love a Magnum, don't you? Yeah, I never met Magnum. Was he, was he, <laughs> Um, anyway, tickets are on sale now and you can buy yours at uh, myticket.co.uk. And Kilimanjaro Live presents Nick Mason's Source Full of Secrets, the Set the Control Tour. Hi, Guy. Hello, Gary. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm. We're really thrilled because one of our best friends has got an Oscar nomination. Yes. Bill, and Bill who, Nye. Bill Nye, yeah, who's been a great friend to both of us and who we met on... One of the first things we did together, which is when we both worked on the film Still Crazy. That's right. So I, uh, I met Bill in 1998. Uh, we were doing some music for the film. This is a film called Still Crazy about a band called Strange Fruit. Uh, it's starring Bill as the lead singer. There was uh, Jimmy Nail was in it. Uh, Tim Spool. Um, all the lads, uh, all the Stephen lads. Ray, and 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 it's a, a band called Strange Fruit that get back together twenty years after they've split up, and it's all that that entails. And there's this. Do you remember? There's a scene in it where a f the, the the guitarist won't do it, and then he finally succumbs, and it's played by Bruce Robinson. There's Bruce Robinson, exactly, who's a sort of Sid Barrett character, another and, friend uh, of yours. Uh, another friend, yes, who I've actually just been staying with. Who uh, and um, I've got a blink and you miss it part in it, Have playing you? a sort of Noel Gallagher character. Yeah. I I blinked. You clearly blinked. I, I obviously blinked. Uh, but I, also I had, had to a, coach Jimmy Nail how to play the bass. And well, I had an interesting job. It was it was called it was musical your director, job. but it wasn't really a, what you'd call a musical director. I I had the band for nearly two weeks in Nomi Studios, teaching them how to pose as a band, I how remember. to look like a band. And we just we just watched old videos. <laughs> so then Bill would come to my house, and I. We did this whole sort of Peter Gabriel look at one point to one of the songs because the songs are kind of comedic spoofs of. Oh man, I wish I wish there was stuff. video. Uh, but it it was, and I met, I went to the filming and hung out a lot uh, down to trying to make this band look like a band, you know. And I, we all did, we all did. Uh, it was a, it's a great film, and Brian Gibson directed it. Sadly, no longer with us. Although I do remember an awful moment with them. Do you remember, Gary, there was a day that we were in Nomis rehearsals with the band and you and I played our submission for The Flame Still Burns, which was the big song in the film. And it was rejected out of hand on the spot. No, I don't remember that. I've obviously raised it from my mind. Who rejected it? Brian. 
Brian Gibson. Yeah. We started playing yeah. it and he was just shaking his head. I remember thinking, oh. I think we're, we're, we were probably a little bit too spoofy on it. Was that what it was? I, uh, we, we did get very, very spoofy. Um, I think at one point it had the word sods in it because I remember you were, we were kind of trying to think of words that people used a lot. You're at uh, the back. Come on, you sods. It was something like that in it. Uh, oh, yeah. Whatever. 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 I don't, yeah. But anyway, I but also because Bill is such a huge music fan, which is why, he, you know, he sang like he'd been in bands for his whole life when he came in. We had another singer ready to do the parts. Because obviously he wasn't going to, you know, he, right. he, he, he yeah, obviously it. the actor's not going to be the singer. So we had this poor guy who had learned all the songs that we'd learned and it was, you know, being produced by Langer and Wynn Stanley. It was all, it was fantastic, the whole thing. And, and then Bill turned up that first day and it was like, well, no, he's singing him. It was amazing. Yeah, he was. And we should get him on the show, shouldn't we? Yeah, I think? I think we should get him on the show. I wonder what our listeners think. I think they'd agree. Will persuade Bill, I'm sure. He's he's a great nerd on rock and roll. He's a big such rolling a, he knows so much. He's been at so many key gigs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so today, Belinda Carlisle. Yes, Belinda Carlisle. Uh, absolutely groundbreaking. Groundbreaking. It's it's you know it's one that you go back and you look at the Go Go's and it's like man they were at the forefront of of so much. First all girl band with the number one, who wrote everything. Even a girl manager played every instrument. Yeah, they were. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, there's this great uh, British connection, isn't there, with Madness and the Specials who yeah. they toured with? Yeah, it's 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 uh, pretty, it's actually it's a really great career, arc. and and then sort of definitive eighties artist. Oh yeah, I mean, heaven is a place, and uh, I feel weak. I mean, some of the greatest pop songs to ever come out of the eighties, yeah. and and uh, and then and then rock and roll inductions and Hall of Fame. I mean, you know, I mean, and everything, and then ending up with kind of utter serenity and yoga in Thailand. It's Can I just art. ask, have you ever played bass with Belinda? No. Uh, I've actually been asked to sort of dep on UK tours twice, uh, but it's that classic, you know, freelance musicians thing of wait all day for a bus and three come at once, and I've never been able to. We won't mention oh, that. We won't mention that. You didn't play bass. Ah. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Let's get her on. Welcome to The Rock on Tears. Okay, guys, I'm ready. But it's a big tune for sure. I actually wrote that originally for Tina Turner. Of course, I had gone and found Joni Mitchell down in Florida and brought her back. I've listened to a few of them and they've been really good, man. I'm sitting in the back of the car coming into London. They're brilliant. Thank you guys for still being around, still making music, still being into it, and doing this podcast. It, it's uh, it's fabulous. Well, I get the feeling that us three should go for a bite. That's what I think. I'm in a band now. <laughs> it's called Roxy Music. You know this thing about the 10,000 hours of experience? Experience oh, yeah, to, to get good at something. When we recorded Arnold Lane, we'd done about 50 hours. The Rock Hunters podcast with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt. Keep on rocking! Hi. Hello. Belinda. Hi, how are you? Very Fantastic. Good. I put my camera on. I know. I have woo behind me. You do, yeah. Very th close encounters. <laughs> I don't know what's you got going a, on. But I think I don't you got a window filter. behind you with yeah, bright know. sun. And... Exactly. And I have some kind of weird filter too. Anyway, I'm not. I'm being just distracted by that. So hi. <laughs> Thanks for coming on early. Actually, that was that's the earliest any guest has ever been on our show. You're five you minutes see? early, and that's brilliant. Wow. And I just I did GMTV this morning, and then I went on a power walk in the park, and then I came to do this. So I've had already had a full day. <laughs> oh no! So you're bored. So everything we ask you is going to be like second, third time. You're going to be bored. No, of it. <laughs> not how. Not that's no, not we're how we different. roll. We're different. 
I um, know, so you're rehearsing you. because I, I, I oh. spoke to my, well, I texted my friend Toby Chapman last night. <laughs> Toby played with Spandau Ballet back in the 80s and he just pro he produced my solo record uh, two years ago. Um, and Toby was said, I'm just on my way to rehearse with Belinda. Right. I, Toby's been, you know, every time I come to this to the UK, he's most, for the most part, part of the band, unless he's busy with somebody else. So, like yeah, James, James Nesbitt. James Nesbitt, of course. Lovely and James, James, yeah. I've been working with him for, gosh, over like over 20 years now, about 25 years. And yeah, I have a great band, Dave Taggart, um, Alex Tuff, Andy Carr. So you guys probably know them from around. Weren't you meant to tour with the Go-Go's with Billy, Billy Idol, just yeah. before COVID? Is that going to happen again? No, I don't think the Go-Go's are... are have gone gone are defunct they're gone they've gone gone so they're the gone gones um, after i think after after the rock hall thing that we the rock hall induction and we just all sort of decided that it would be nice to end on a high note and we were planning to do billy um but that was still like the the end of covid so you know it would and then he had a, a vocal problem so it just didn't work out oh, that's a shame. Shame. Uh, i must say it's been such a so fantastic diving into the history of, of, of you and the, I mean, you've certainly had the absolute full arc. Right. Really, of everything, you know, with the band yeah. in every way. Yeah. And it's, it's magnificent. But also just to remember how important and groundbreaking the Go-Go's were when mm. you started. Right. Well, we, yeah. I mean, we had no idea how to do anything. So, um, you know, back then and in, in the, the early, very early punk days in LA, there were like 50 kids and I was one of them and everybody we knew was in a band and they were horrible. So we thought, well, we can be in a band and be horrible too. And it was kind of cool to be horrible. So um, that's how we started. And, and um, you know- Let's just go back a little bit. Let's go back. There is one question, because also there's the <laughs> thing of information back then, because now everyone knows everything. It's because right. you would have been get, just getting NMEs that were three weeks old. Or something, wouldn't exactly. You? Well, in high school, we used to go to the local record store and and buy Enemy and Melody Maker, and you know we were like, just you know, uh, mesmerized by the early punk movement, the Sex Pistols and you know Sham Sixty Nine, all those bands back then. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of, um, you know, that was that was it for us. And I think we were all influenced by the scene in L.A., but. It was DIY from the beginning, you know, and and uh, we were very much influenced by that, by that scene. I think for the Go Go's, especially be, the Buzzcocks and more melodic punk bands. But I mean, that's how it all started in LA. And and for us, is if it wasn't for, well, for me, if it wasn't for Iggy Pop, which I saw, you know, in high school, seeing the uh, cover of Raw Power, I oh, yeah. just, you know, kind of freaked out and discovered this whole new world of music that wasn't being played on the radio so that that was in high school so um and that and where was, was kinda, high school was that in the in the valley where were you growing up? i was i was born and raised in hollywood and um i grew up in the valley in burbank but not in hollywood not hollywood hollywood no i was it born was... in hollywood I was born in Hollywood. No, but I mean, not glitz, not glitz, <laughs> it wasn't glitzy Hollywood. No, 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 it wasn't back, back then. No, it was, it was. Um, so I, I was born there. I grew up a lot in Thousand Oaks, which is about forty-five minutes from from LA, and then in the Valley. And that's, um, yeah, 
that's um were you totally like Frank Zappa's version of, of a valley girl, do you think? Um, <laughs> Hanging out in the mall. <laughs> well, I mean, I tried not to be, you know, but, but, um, yeah, I mean, I'm a, a I am a valley record. girl. I mean, that's, that's my formative years were spent in the valley. So I guess I yeah. still am. Once a valley girl, always a valley girl. Oh, you're so, <laughs> eight, you're so 818. Yeah, um, I know. Exactly. We, we used to um, be embarrassed by our, our area codes. It was like, are you 213 or 818? Yeah. And if you were 818, course, it was 310, of course. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, because it was funny for us. I remember when we first heard of there being an LA punk sink, it was way after there. The, to us in England, it was like, you know, the, you're talking about school kids who have cars and swimming pools. I know. What are you complaining about? <laughs> exactly. Oh, I know. It's it's funny because I think that every uh, punk scene around the world had a different sort of, I don't know, uh, vibe. And and in Southern, growing up in Southern California, there was not a whole lot to be angry about. So, you know, there was all that faux anger, of course, and early go-go songs, and and but there really wasn't anything to be. Um, pissed off about at the time, you yeah. know, and New York was more sort of junky, dark undertones. Detroit was very working class, you know, hardcore. LA was, there was a lot of art infused into the early days and it was a lot more sort of effervescent. I mean, there's faux anger, of course, but at the end of the day, it was, it was pretty sparkly. I'd say that's, that's how I would describe it. Sparkly. But also, yeah, because if you look at you, you, you're absolutely right on the art front because the L.A., looking at it now, all the L.A. stuff had in terms of like graphics and how people looked was a lot, you know, it was leaning right. almost more towards what Gary was about to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> more well, new, it was, yeah, it was colorful, you know, I mean, it was, yeah, yeah there's a lot of, lot of art um, that was going on in Southern California besides outside of the music was sort of infused in the music. So it was different. I knew at the time, I think we all knew that we were a part of something very special. So what was the first musical thing you did? Because was it, was it with the germs? I was, yeah, it was in the germs. Actually, it was funny because Pat Smear, who's in the Foo Fighters, we, that was our first band. And I was like 17. He was like six, I think he's a year younger than me, a year or two younger. So that was our first band. And we actually played the first punk show in L.A., at a place called the Orpheum Theater. And um, I was the drummer that never played though, because I came We just down... played the Orpheum, didn't we, Guy? Did we just play the, the Orpheum? Orpheum? Yeah. Was it the Orpheum we played? We, we, we played the Yeah, we played the I don't know Orpheum. if it's the same one. This one is a, on Holloway. Yeah. I don't think it's there anymore. Oh, okay. But it was like maybe 20 people showed up and I, I was the drummer, but I had come down with mononucleosis, the kissing disease back then. And so I had to go back home to my parents to recover. And then when I came back, so they got somebody to fill in for drums. And so I was sort of like the oh. germs prop person. So I would hand Darby like salad dressing and peanut butter and broken glass. And that was my job. And <laughs> oh, germs. my God. So ki so kissing, <laughs> kissing some boy nearly Very got you part. out of music. Exactly. Yeah. I know. Exactly. It sort of sidelined me for a while. So then I was, I, in, I was in a band called Black Randy and the Metro Squad. They did an album called Pass the Dust, I Think I'm Bowie. And he That's was a, a great total, name. Oh, my God. Total, that so total genius. And then during Black Roundy is when, um, about 1978 is when 
we decided to to form the Go-Go's and there was still a very, very small punk scene, very small. I can't believe that poor Pat had to wait till the 90s to get successful. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> it was really funny because when um, we, we stayed in touch through the years and when the Go-Go's and the Foo Fighters uh, were going to be inducted into the Rock Hall, um, we we called each other and thought, who would have guessed from the Germs <laughs> Rock and Roll Hall yeah. of Fame? Uh, so it was very, yeah. very sweet. And and after the, the induction, we did a germ song at a party. So we did an homage oh, wow. to Darby. Yeah, it was great. It was great. One thing I do want to ask about this time, because this this because Sex Pistols gigs seem to come up for one reason or another uh, in this podcast. Right. Well, one yes. reason. Um, were you one of the ones who did the pilgrimage to Winterland? Yes, uh, yes, yes. I was right oh in the front. Oh, my God. Yes. That's amazing. So that's, that's, the last, amazing. that's the last gig, isn't the last it? Gig, that's, that was the last gig, the very, yeah. 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 Ever, ever get the feel, you, did you hear him say, ever get the feeling you've been cheated? Yes, I did. I was there. Oh, my God. That yeah. Is, well, oh, that's, that's That's oh, like, man. that's the punk equivalent of the Bob Dylan Judas moment, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Just, <laughs> what, I, what I like about this program as well, because we hear it a lot, is this passing of the baton that there's always there's someone in every audience that is going to be on a stage and be successful within the next generation i mean this is a great example yeah to, uh, completely and and um that was when we thought we were i remember it was kind of disappointing that show was very disappointing and uh you know of course we all built it up to, it was going to be something amazing and it was amazing in its own way but it was also and, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, well, Sid couldn't really play. I mean, let's face it, Sid couldn't play. Because yeah. I, I saw, can I just say, did you know I've seen the Sex Pistols guy? <laughs> Go <laughs> on. No, when, when I, because I, I drive him mad with this because he never saw them. But uh, when I saw them, it was Glenn Matlock playing bass. It was, yeah. a, it was a musical unit. You know, and and I think it had really fallen apart by the time they hit yeah. Winterland. Yeah, I think so. I, it's, well, they were it's talking to each other, were they? Malcolm had already decided that Johnny was out, and it was. Yeah, it was a mess, but it inspired us to want to do something. We felt like we were like the next step, you know. And and even though we had no idea how to do anything, we just thought we can do it. So I mean, it was. You know, well, that's brilliant because it could have been utterly demoralizing, couldn't it? You're it, going it to could the, have been. the source, and then so that's brilliant. You turn that around. <laughs> so, what is it? Because we all know that the, the fact that, that the Go Go's were apparently, history tells us, the first all female bands play all their instruments and write all right their own, own songs, songs to and reach number actually one. Actually, what gets overlooked, and, and you, the fact that you had a, a female manager. Yeah, and we had Even, female roadies you know. too. So what happened? Was it a kind of a philosophical idea you all had? We've got to get together and just have women. No, I mean it was just like we wanted to have a party. It was just it was just for a laugh, and and uh, it wasn't. We had no sort of. We just wanted to like have a girls' club, really, and no boyfriends were around, no guys were allowed because it was just a it was just a party. So, you know, we had female management. We had three female roadies. And it was just because that's the way we wanted to do it. We weren't, we weren't feminists. Uh, I guess in retrospect, we were because we were doing it everything on our terms and the way we wanted to do it. But we never had those kind of intentions. But were you drawn together because you all played instruments, or were you just like, well, listen, we need a drummer. You better learn to play the drums. Or was it? How did that all work? Well, okay, so we were sitting on a curb in Venice, California, at a party, and you know, um, we. Margot said, I want to form a band. And Jane was there and she and she said, 
I uh, I want to play bass. I thought, shit, I don't want to play drums. And um, <laughs> she, and then Jane said, oh, I'll play rhythm guitar. She had no idea how to play guitar. And then I said, okay, I'll sing. And then we thought, well, what do we do now? And we went to Margot's apartment and we're just messing around with her. She had one amp. We only had one amp. And we thought, well, we didn't know how to work the amp. So we thought we got to get somebody that knows what they're doing. So we went to the Starwood and the eyes were playing was with Charlotte Caffey. We thought Charlotte's perfect because she knows how to, well, plug guitars into amps. So so <laughs> we, we went backstage um, after the show and we said, do you want to join our band? And she said, yes. I mean, it was, she, you know, it was just she said, yes. Yeah. She says she says she doesn't know why she said yes, but she said yes. And she really was the, the one musician in the band. And um, and then we got going. We we did a show about three months later at The Mask, the, the first punk club. And our set was three songs. We played one song twice. So that was the Where was The, the Mask? Go-go's. Yeah, where was The Mask? Where in town was that? It was off of Hollywood Boulevard and Las Palmas. It was behind the Pussycat Porn Theater. And it was down in the basement. So perfect. You perfect. Have, it's perfect. So you have to go through, there's no sign. You have to go through an alley and back of the porn theater and walk down these stairs. And then that's where it was all happening. It was amazing. Brilliant. Cause you're a equivalent of Soho, isn't it? For totally. In the 70s. Yeah. Totally. Was it Miles Copeland that sort of discovered you? Cause I know that you, cause no, th- that was, that was kind of later, wasn't it? The, right. The Miles Co- so who's what, who, who, what happened? How did you get the, the, uh, the contract? Well, I mean, we were playing around. We never had a problem uh, with an audience. I mean, we improved quickly. And then I think what changed for us and, and that whole game was, you know, Ginger came in early. She was there in the early days. We opened for Madness at the Whiskey in, um, I don't think it was 1980, I think. And then they invited us to go to the UK to open for them. So yeah, we did. That that's this... the thing that's amazing. Oh, and the God. turning point. And because was <laughs> your manager, she sold everything, didn't she, to get to she sold, that. She pawned everything. Because back then, before the age of information, you could just write letters back home and say you were big stars and people believed you. There was no other reason, <laughs> you know, no reason to say, to think otherwise. So we were sending letters back home and, you know, we couldn't afford to make calls. And saying, you know, oh yeah, it's great. We're big successes. Ginger, it was a nightmare. That those tours were fun, but they were really hard. And but they was that, so was, were they separate tours? Sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, were they separate because you you toured with the specials and Madden. You did the Seaside right. tour, didn't you? Oh yeah, we did that with. We, and it was all skinheads and it was all skinheads. Larry and, <laughs> and five little girls from Southern California. And you're all shagging and, each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit, bit of that going on too, but. Um, it was, it was, you know, because we told everybody back home that we was a big success and they believed us. We came back to LA after those tours and there was, we, we played our first show at the Starwood. It was like the triumphant return of the Go-Go's. Wow. And there were like queues of kids like wrapped around the block at the Starwood. And then that's what got Miles' attention actually. And, got it. you know, we had tons of record companies come to all the Go-Go shows, uh, even from the beginning, and they would say, we can see that people love you, but we can't sign you because there had been no 
track record of like a mainstream successful all-female band. It's amazing, isn't it? Isn't that amazing? So, so there was just kids buying like English magazines, like yeah. NME, etc., that yeah. had read about this. And and is that where? Um, because Our Lips Are Sealed was co-written by Terry Hall. I, right. You know what, I did, I, and I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. Uh, and, and let's just mention Terry yeah, while we're here. Bless him. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, well, I mean, yeah. incredible uh, performer and man as well to leave us so, right. so soon. So recently. soon. Um, and, and, and how did... Do you remember that happening? Was that with with that was Terry and Jane who wrote that right, song? Was that right. on that tour? They were at Seaside. Tour? Was it about their affair? Because they were having a secret yeah. sort of thing. They were thing, having a they? secret thing. Yeah, it, it's and um, it was a letter that went back and forth from what Jane says. And uh, after we got back to the states from from the UK, um, Jane had just went back to her parents' house because she couldn't afford to live outside their ha the house. So. Um, she put it to music and I guess Terry did at the same time. And that was it. That was our lips are sealed. So, I mean, I really do think that, that the, the, the two tone tours that we did here really changed the trajectory of the band. I mean, no question about it. Could I yeah, just yeah. ask, uh, seeing like the whole thing seems to you coming from Hollywood and mm -hmm. to everything that seemed, you know, whatever it was to up uh, to us what was what was england physically like to you when you visited it because it was you know it was a shit hole. it was pretty grim <laughs> but <laughs> I, I mean you know it wasn't gentrified or anything in some ways it was yeah. great i mean it we had no money i remember we were given like three pounds a day to live on and we had to get to rehearsal in shepherd's bush from we were in oh. we were in belsize park we had all we had lived in this oh. big house and we had some of the Bell stars living there. It was a big crash pad. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, how yeah. cool. And like some of the models from LA that would come and they'd stay there. It was like, it was, you know, a great time, but we had three three pounds. We'd have to get to rehearsal and back for 75p. And food was rubbish then. Well, we ate we ate Nutella and, and uh, white bread and managed to gain a ton of weight. We took cough syrup to get high. Because uh, we couldn't have uh, been yeah, Benelin, exactly. And, do and I remember dodos I've being the thing as well. That's Sending friends in to pretend they had bronchitis to buy dodos. <laughs> That's so funny. So it was, London was, I mean, it was expensive. It was, but I mean, honestly, we had the best time. You know, we had no money and had the best time. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This episode of Rock on Tours is sponsored by AG1, the daily nutrition supplement. AG1 is a comprehensive and convenient blend of over 70 vitamins, minerals and other vital ingredients like gut-friendly bacteria, antioxidants and much more. Just one scoop of AG1 daily has all the nutrients you need to support your mental performance, energy levels, heart health and immune system. To be honest, it's pretty vital stuff for us because when you've got a life on the road and you're short of time or you're too busy to plan and prepare healthy meals, you're getting your podcast together, you're being shouted at and it's just a nightmare. AG1 gives me all the good stuff and helps keep my energy levels where I need, ready for showtime or doing the podcast and with a nice vanilla taste. It keeps me focused, feeling good, feeling healthy with its daily dose of vitamin C and zinc. And it's so easy to use. Just one scoop a day gives me over 70 carefully selected ingredients. Simple. Trusted by Olympians, F1 drivers and the rock on tours. So if you want to replace your multivitamin and more, start with AG1. Try AG1 and a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first subscription. Go to drinkag1.com slash rockonteurs. That's drinkag1.com slash rockonteurs. Check it out. Who produced that first first album, Belinda? Was it Richard Gotter? Did the first one? Yeah. Because you started Sire Records with Seymour Stein, and yeah, and yeah. it's been mentioned on this show before. Because I think we had we had we had Chris on, didn't we, from Talking Heads, and we were he was he was talking about Richard Gotter. Did Richard Gotter also produce? Joan Armour Trading as well? Because we we I had Joan on last week. I think he yeah. did. Yeah, and Blondie. But we've missed out yeah. that you had this big change in your fortune because you suddenly get an actual possible proper musician in the band don't you <laughs> well yes we had charlotte join and yeah. then and then um we replaced elisa the original drummer uh with gina shock who um you know came from baltimore to la and wanted to get into a band actually her drum sound changed everything it changed the band it really like glued things together yeah band was there as good as this drummer exactly was it was true. And, and we got the beat. When did that? When did that happen? Who wrote? Who wrote that? Charlotte wrote that watching Twilight Zone. Yeah, and she she was watching the Twilight Zone. She wrote it in five minutes. It's like one of those things that happened. And yeah. she was afraid. But what's the link between we got the beat and the Twilight Zone? She was That's watching it. She was just spacing out. I know. And she came up with it. It was just like one of those things in five minutes that she wrote it. And. Um, when we were we were in the UK with, the, with touring with the bands, uh, Ginger was trying to shop around the the single, uh, and so Sire Records put it out. And not Sire was it not Sire? It the was Stiff, Stiff Records. It was, you got Stiff. you got a one single deal yeah, with Stiff, didn't exactly. you? Exactly. Who wanted Parker. the publishing, which Ginger wouldn't give up. No, she wouldn't. She knew she had heard that you don't give that up. So um, that actually became a hit in the states on an import single so that 
it all kind of, uh, it was kismet, the whole thing, you know. You toured with the police as well, didn't you? What was that like? Well, that was like taking um, five little girls who had been in just playing clubs into playing arenas. And while we were on tour, our album, Beauty and the Beat, sort of got going up into the charts. And then we knocked them out of uh, number one. And oh, wow. they went down to number six. And we were opening <laughs> for the time. So they were very oh, good natured about it, though. Yeah, I've heard I've heard Stuart talk about that in a very very <laughs> like he said they thought it was great because because it, it's that thing it's like yeah you've knocked them off the charts but they're the police exactly you know. exactly <laughs> they are the police so that was yeah that was traveling around the world for the first time and and uh, yeah I mean I have very fond memories of that you know obviously the other albums came out and but there became more and more of an issue between you all that led you to want to go right. solo. I mean, I think it's okay for me to make that absolutely. jump. Absolutely, yeah. Because we need to talk well, about your solo career. Isn't it? The Go-Go's history is absolutely textbook. It is, and I think it's kind of, of cliche yeah. too. And it's 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 the same story, but for the Go-Go's, you know, it's, it's um, drugs, ego, and publishing. And- um, Hey, you just talked about my band. <laughs> <laughs> See, it happens. That's what Gary, that's what like Gary the... was gonna call his book. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's such a cliche, but it's, it's you know, there was such a, um, it's such a divide in the band because of that. Because, you know, I mean, it, there's different schools of thought. I mean, I, we worked our ass off equally for the, for the first three years and, there was a disparity between income because of publishing. But at the same time, I mean, you know, I don't know. I, I, I can go either way on this, but that that caused a big problem in the band, actually. Um, How much were you writing? I wasn't writing at all. I was like, I was, a, oh, really, okay. so I was a big mess. I mean, I was I was having too much fun. And um, that's why I never felt that it was my place to be able to ask for what I really believed at the time was right because we had worked so hard. We were like slogging it out, like, you know, for a year and a half straight every day, as you do when you're a young band. And now I'm just kind of like, I can see both sides of the coin. So, you know, it's, it, but it is one of the things that really broke up the band. But would you say there was more pressure on you as a front person or because of the, you know, the novelty of you being all girls, that that, that was split up a bit more did you feel a lot more pressure well that was a problem too because of course yeah. you know it was like lead singer syndrome where people have a tendency to focus on the lead singer and you know that caused problems it was you know in a retrospect i do think that we should have taken you know we thought we said yes to everything we thought you had to, we had to say yes to everything as a young band and in retrospect we probably should have taken a year, two years off, and just you haven't got a year. You haven't got a year. You no, haven't got two. I know. Years. Well, but, but, I know. But, I know. But we could have said uh, no. We could have said no yeah. for at least a year. Yeah, but all of that's irrelevant because because in the end you go on and have a successful yeah. solo career. But right. but let's just finish off on the Go Go's and say how the story ends in a fabulous way, doesn't it? I mean, you get a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, right. Right. and in 2021 you 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 get you get inducted into the the, the Rock and Roll 
Hall of Fame. Right. Um, by Drew Barrymore. Multiple reunions. Right. <laughs> multiple <laughs> reunions. Multiple reunions, yeah. I mean, multi yes. multiple times in court also, or nearly in court. <laughs> a lot uh, of suing. Yes, I think more than once, actually. <laughs> exactly. Yes, of course. But, so you but, have to have lawsuits the, too. So. But, but the go-go. But if the go-go's, but Belinda, if the go-go's were just your career alone, it would be enough. Yeah. Because it's pretty fabulous what, what you have left behind in history right. and that now people look back and, and you've been given the acclaim. I mean, God, I'd love to be nominated for, or put in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Right. But, so it's, it's a great place to be. How was that, by the way? How was doing, doing that? It was probably one of the most amazing nights of my life. I mean, um, yeah, it was like, it's what it's like you know energetically when it's when it's amazing and there was just so much love that night and and uh that was it for us i mean actually it was kind of funny because it was wasn't that funny actually to the other girls but i we had a show afterwards uh which should have been an amazing thing and i was like you know i think i'm done you know i think that i think i'm done and i I mean, what is there else is there to do except run around and make lots of money? I mean, it's not, I'm just done. So yeah. we finished up some shows. It, everybody ended up on a high note, actually. And everybody has gone. It's weird because we were together all the time for years and years. And, and now that it's kind of disbanded, everybody just has their own lives and we don't really connect mm -hmm. that much anymore. It's weird. But well, no, it yeah. is not because there are bad feelings it's just because mm -hmm. we just we're just moved on so but it was it was a perfect ending to uh the story of the band and and its legacy was pat smear there yeah pat smear was there because they were playing uh the food fighters were inducted at the same time i can't believe that that's so great so, that's yeah so it was so sweet really <laughs> really really sweet for for both of us yeah and so how did it feel to you when first going solo, how was, you know? Yeah. Well, I didn't leave the band because um, I had a solo career, but, but we left, I left because it wasn't working and I didn't know how to do anything else. So Miles um, approached me and I thought, okay, I didn't really like I, what I normally do anyway. I mean, I've done all my life is jump into things without thinking, thinking it through and what that means. And so I finished this album and then I thought, oh, what have I done? And then I had to go on stage. Is without. this the Belinda album? Yeah. So it was it was weird having my security blanket sort of ripped away from me. And I had to like, you know, the really kind of find my way. It took a few years to find my way as a solo solo artist and and uh, be comfortable with that. But yeah, it was a weird transition. And it, who, who, you know, man who only, managed you? Uh, who managed me? Um, Ron Stone and Danny Goldberg back Right, then. so you completely oh. lost that all-female support group. Yeah, yeah. It was. Did weird. you feel vulnerable? In yes, that I did. It was really scary. And and um, actually, I had Charlotte. Charlotte came um, because we both left the band at the same time. And so, and Charlotte was we we supported each other through those first few years of after leaving the band because it was. It was all we knew, so it it was um, it was kind of scary. But like I said, I didn't know how to do anything else, so might as well do a solo album. I just want to pick up on there's something you just said as a side, which was, was brilliant. Which is, you know, you've had a full career. When someone asks you a question, you go, "Yeah, who managed me?" 
<laughs> I know. Yeah. Oh, what record company was I on then? I mean, I've been yeah, on, I've been on every label there is. It seems. So. Yeah, yeah. Did you know what kind of solo artist you wanted to be, and and was that first album the right one? Was that who it was you you'd planned to be? You're oh. sort of sticking pretty close, weren't you? It was, it was kind yeah, sixty, very sixties. I I mean I was sort of flailing around at that time still trying to find um i felt like there were a few tracks that were that were me like mad about you of course um but i felt i was still still needed to find what where my niche was and i think i think that really sort of happened with rick knowles meeting rick knowles and oh, rick, um, i know I've, I've worked with rick i yeah. worked with him with tina turner yeah and then that that's that um I guess I was sort of, I he would say probably like a muse almost. And and he wrote these songs and these incredible lyrics that weren't literal and that were sort of poetic and that I really resonated with. And and yeah. I felt that, you know, he, we worked really well together and he sort of guided me and I kind of guided him on the direction of where it but should then, be. But just start hanging on that first down for a second, there were some great rock and roll players yeah. on there, wasn't there? You had oh Taylor I had on guitar. Everybody. Lindsay yeah. Buckingham <laughs> yeah. uh, co-wrote one of the tracks. Yeah. Um, I think, I think um, Nick, Nicky Hopkins on keyboard at one yeah. point. Yeah. Nicky Hopkins is amazing. And Michelle Phillips. Um, no, I had, it was really, really nice that I had like the sort of local um, sort of, you know, music community yeah. really supporting me on that. It was pretty amazing. That's actually a thing that going through, having gone through all your solo albums, you've got all sorts of really fascinating names who turn up here and there. Quite <laughs> yeah. surprised I didn't show up anywhere, actually. But um, <sighs> our old friend Nick Beggs shows up at one point. Oh, God, I love Nick Beggs. <laughs> oh, I bet you got a mouth. Hang on, guy. I bet you got a mouth like a fried arsehole when you read that name, didn't you? <laughs> 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 I, I adore him. I saw him the first oh, time. Do you know the funniest one? Sagat, Sagat Geary, Kadir's brother, the oh, guitarist right. from Funkapolitan. Oh, so is he so on the funny. record? Wow. It's so yeah. funny. Yeah. But Rick, Rick Knowles is amazing, isn't he? Because, I mean, he yeah. basically seems to only ever produce these fantastic women, yeah. like Celine or, or Madonna he's written with, and, of course, Lana Del Rey, Dua Lipa. I mean, right. incredible Adele. career. Adele. I mean, um, Dido. I mean, he's he's so yeah. prolific, and and we, we we worked on three albums together, and um, you know, I mean, those are some of the best songs that I get to sing, honestly. How how did the, the those songs? How did okay, you know, okay. heaven is a place, right? <laughs> how did that heaven happen? Is a place. Because this is one thing of you know that that you and Gary have in common is that <laughs> you both have utterly definitive. 80s songs under your belt right yeah, I, so I mean heaven is a place on earth is is one of those yeah, they're, they're right absolute. you know absolutely do you, do you re just 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 what do you remember of that session and and being shown the song because i mean i have to say not just for you for all of us living through that time that song was one of those that you went wow that's yeah. a step change you know yeah. Yeah. suddenly everyone wanted to try and write a song like that that's great anthemic feel good power pop song right well i remember it clearly i mean it's it's in my very long career i you know i've had a few times where there's a song that's sort of undeniable and you just go wow 
And if if the stars are right, and depending on what's going on in the world and what's going on in music, this could really be a hit song. And that's how I felt about Heaven. It was it was just kind of undeniable. And you know, Rick and Ellen Shipley were there, and they played it for me. And I was like, Yeah, let's go. You know, what, what do you do? I mean, yeah. it's it's uh, that and Circle in the Sand. I remember hearing that for the first oh, time. Yeah, yeah. So. Fantastic. And that was another one of those. And actually, when Diane Warren came to and to show me, um, I get weak. And she played she played it on piano and she sung it. And I said, "Why aren't you doing this song?" I mean, she has an amazing voice. And she goes, "Ah, I, I can't sing. I don't want to sing." <laughs> and so, um, yeah, there's like throughout my career, there are those moments that I have. And I go, wow, you know, this could be really and, amazing. And Diane, let's just talk about Diane because she is an amazing oh, writer right. who, you know. Aerosmith. I mean, there's so many, you know, people. Right. I love the fact that she wrote Aerosmith because everyone thinks Aerosmith, that's a great rock band, you know, writes right. their own stuff. No, no, no. Their biggest Damn. hit was written by. Well, yeah, no, she basically she owns the end of every major film. I think it doesn't really matter who the artist is. Whatever the song is at the end of the film, is she's writing it. Well, she yeah. just got yeah. nominated yesterday for her 14th Academy Award. So, and, you know, and I have that this project that's out now with her with Dolly Parton and. Cindy Lauper and Gloria Estefan. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's so. I mean, first of all, she has a phallus mouth of anybody I know, and uh, which is great. And um, she's like, she's she just turns them out. When I first met her, she had a tiny little office on in a like twenty story building on Sunset, and now she owns that building, and she and she built another building on Coanga. So, and she, on every floor there are big big studios. So. And, and, you know, besides being a great songwriter, she's a really nice, normal person. And that's what I like best. But what, what I like as well is that this with this period we're talking about, it, the singer wasn't in competition with the songwriter. The songwriter comes in, presents a beautiful song, and the singer says, great, I'm going to sing it. When now there'd be four or five other people in the room all claiming a piece of the publishing, yeah. all trying yeah. to yeah. chip in. Yeah. You know, there's oh, yeah. conglomerates that, that write things now. Yeah, it's... Um, it was, I think, a, a pure uh, time, if that's a word, more pure time as far as... Well, because you knew yeah. as you could sell records and make money. Now people can't really make the can't money make out of money. selling the records. No, right? you can't. I know. Now, we, we, were, we, we were in there just in time <laughs> before it all changed. But you kept moving, didn't you? I mean, actually, geographically moving as well. Was it because of... A, was it earthquake-related that you left yes. LA? Yes. I mean, no, actually... My husband was an agent at William Morris, and um, we went to like the 50th anniversary of like the founder of the companies. I was at a country club, you know, and everybody was dressed up. And I looked at him. I said, is this where it's all going to end? Is that at the country club? I said, I can't. I can't. And um, so we had sort of decided to that we were going to, you know, we didn't know where we were going to live. And we went to Mexico. And we talked a lot about it. And we said, eeny, meeny, miny, moe, Australia's too far. Uh, this this is not right. But so we decided on France, we went back from, we came home from Mexico and then the earthquake, the big earthquake. And then we left five days later. And we just um, gave ourselves six months, you know, it, it, we just jumped into it. And people thought we were crazy, but it worked. And We've been expats now since 1994. We've been, we've lived in eight different countries. Fantastic. <laughs> so, it was, you were near Fraser's, weren't you? 
Yeah, we were in Les Adres, which is near Fréjus, and Dave Stewart oh, lives there. It was like it was. Oh, yeah. um, it, there was quite a uh, an amazing musical community there. So we were there for a long time, and then we've been in Thailand, and we're in Mexico now, and been in India and Austria, for, you know, I just everywhere. Huh? I just want to go back to that sort of moment when when you were peaking with Heaven on Earth as well, because you spoke quite you speak quite openly about your partying and you spoke about it right. earlier with the go-go's and partying and to be so successful was was that how were you playing that game between you know remaining creative and and forward thinking at the same time just being enveloped by this euphoria of success uh, well it was such a whirlwind as you as you know those things are kind of whirlwinds you're just carried away carried on you know carried away with what's going on um, I knew I was super lucky um, and I thought, oh, I'm not going to make the same mistakes this time. You know, I'm going to handle it differently. And of course, um, you know, it it, it 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 was better in a lot of ways, but um, I knew I was really lucky. I think I got a little complacent creatively, to be honest, because I had somebody writing these amazing songs. So um, there was a lot of pressure put on on me as far as image goes. And that was, for me, was always a difficult thing because I always felt a certain way about myself. And then having to sort of, you know, uh, be not molded because I always had a say in, in image, images and whatever, but, you know, I mean, there's a lot of pressure to, to look a certain way, to photograph a certain way. So that was kind of the drag of the whole mm. bit, but everything else was amazing. Everything was- And do you think that women have a, an easier time of it or a more, a more sort of more powerful experience now than they did then? Do you feel the change yourself or do, can you see it? I think I can see it with all sorts of this body positivity. And um, I think things have changed a lot, but also at the same time, music's become more sexualized, I think. And mm -hmm. and um, I know I go back to when the Go-Go's, we were performing at the Billboard Awards about four or five years ago. And we sat in the front row and we could not believe what we were seeing and we've done everything. And just to see, we we're almost like prudes in a way, just seeing these young women on stage being sexualized by men. Of course, they had no say in their career. so. I think in some ways it's gotten better, in some ways it's gone way backwards. And well, I mean, you, you get someone like Billie Eilish, you know, for instance, who does a brilliant thing of she's absolutely determined to own what her image is. Right. And yeah, and you see that she still comes up against it, you know, yeah. madly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's I don't know. I mean, a lot of a lot of women who who I would call sexualized or maybe sexualizing themselves would say it's empowering, but I don't look at it that way. It gets attention, but yeah, it's yeah. not empowering, I don't think, in any way. No, but I you, agree. You're one of the few, especially because you were the first with the go-go, so you owned everything you did, you know, in yeah, terms never, of really come everything up. from the word go. So you were actually yeah. in a kind of unique position like that. That that must have been great sort of armor to have going forward. Yeah, I don't think any, I know, for some reason, no one really messed with me. <laughs> no one really messed with the band. <laughs> they, no one, no one, um, I never really had any problems in, as far as that goes. And from, but, and I'm lucky, very lucky. It's still, it's still even 
given that there are so many women successful now in, in pop music, it's still the production side is still male dominated, isn't it? But, yeah, I don't know why that. I mean, it, you know, it, it, I can't think of a female producer off the top of my head. Unless, you know, it's it's an artist, you know, that's producing their own material. But yeah, I mean, I never really thought of that, but you're right. Film. Film seems to be moving. Uh, oh, it does. Oh, better. sorry. Yeah. Is it me? Let, let's, let, let's talk about this new project before you have to go, because you're, you're doing lots of promotion on it. And uh, the single, I mean, Dolly Parton, Debbie yeah. Harry. <laughs> uh, who else is on it? Go on, t tell us about it. Uh, Cindy Lauper, Debbie Harry, um, Dora Estefan and Dolly and myself. Um, it's written by Diane Warren, of course, what isn't. And, um, she asked if I wanted to be part of this group and I said, yeah. And so, <laughs> um, I did, everybody did their singing separately. We did our, the video separately because everybody's busy. Oh, what a shame. I know, but who knows? Maybe we'll do something together in the flesh yeah. one of these days, but it's a great song. It's the, the title song for this, this film coming out, 80 for Brady. With but it's called Bonner. "Gonna Be You," right? It's gonna yeah, be it's you. called "Gonna Be You," and it's great. It's a great, uplifting pop song about friend friendship. It's good. It's really. Good. I know it's a real '80s vibe to it, isn't it? I mean, yeah. Hang on, let me get this right. So, <laughs> so it's a, it's a film about women in their '80s or approaching '80, and yes. Jane Fonda's in it, obviously, and Lee Tomlin. And so Diane Warren thought, well, then I'll get, I'll write a song about the eighties or eighties style and get some eighties singers in. Yes, exactly. And, and women of a certain age, I suppose. So, um, and it yeah, works. Yeah. I mean, it was, a, it was yeah. a genius move on her part. So yeah, four, four of the, uh, the women in the film and four of us or five of us. And, and it's, it's great. It's great. It's, I'm very, very, uh, it just, you know, sort of humbled yeah. to be a part of that so yeah dolly parton christ i know, you know? i know debbie it's harry amazing. you know amazing because of course because your last album was uh was a real departure wasn't it wilder shores yes well i mean i my last two albums one was in french and because i lived in france for such a long yeah. time and like love french music and then because i chant every day and i've been chanting every day for 30 years um I thought I would see if I could put what would normally be curtain into a pop pop song format. So um, it's all my favorite mantras that that I think are really powerful, and it's science. It's not airy fairy. So um, yeah, so I did it, and you know, hardly anybody <laughs> has heard it. But what well, I'm gonna say? Cause, <laughs> no, because I loved it cause, because from reading the titles and it, and and when I put it on, I, I was expecting kind of ambient meditation you know like pads and kind of finger right. symbols and but, right. but they're pop songs they're pop it's, it's curtain put into pop song format which i thought why hasn't anybody done this i mean i love curtain i mean i'm you know big part mm. of the curtain community so um yeah i just thought why not you know i mean and and it's very you know not very many people know about it but i'm really glad i made that album i had to get it out of my system before i did something in english <laughs> so you're you're going you're going on the road, but is there any new music coming? Yes, I have um, a new single coming out. I think in the beginning of March, um, written by Diane Warren, <laughs> of course, and right. uh, it's a fight from a five song EP. The first single, I'm, you know, I never i I thought I was going to retire. Uh, to be honest, I I was like, you know, it's time to slow down. Then my son ran into her at Starbucks, and she goes, "Get your mom on the phone." 
And she goes, yeah, love that. And hairstyle, you know, she said, get your ass down to the studio. I have some hits for you. And I just sat there, uh, if I don't do this, then it's yeah. I'm really stupid. So yeah, so now it's coming out in the beginning of March. And it's I'm so what's it called? Excited. Is it big? The what's first song is called the first single is Big Big Love. It's great. Right, right, right. And Back you're doing a BBC uh, acoustic TV show, aren't you? I'm doing. Something I'm performing like it on the piano room, actually. On the piano, yeah, yeah. Because the yeah. yeah. they they want nice. one one new song, and I just happen to have that. So, yeah. So it's it's you know lots, is, is lots Toby, of stuff going to on. Toby, Toby Chapman playing piano. I don't know if Toby's going to be there at the at the piano room, but he, but um, he will. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, he'll be on the tour. So, give him my best when you see. Him I will today. certainly. I will. Yes, yeah. and James. I will. I will. They're both good guys. Oh, uh, listen! Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, uh, thank you for having me. Seriously. No, we uh, really appreciate. It. We know you got a really busy schedule, so that's. But that's. Ah, uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right, Belinda. And I'll see you later. I'm sorry about what's going on with this, but the halo. Oh, well, you look like this. This sort of. It's like something from a from a beautiful old Disney cartoon. These disembodied. I don't know what's no, going on with the, what, lip, the lips. No, but everything is so it's, scary. It's, it's so all this scary. glow. Can I just say what it looks like? What it looks it look like, like heaven is a heaven is a place on earth. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I might. I don't know. I I couldn't look at myself. It's too distracting. Anyway, thank you all so right. much. Yeah, it's very nice. Very nice. I mean, you know, those songs are so iconic. But just playing them recently. Uh, I still wish I'd written some of those I bet, songs. I was thinking, yeah, do, do you know, I was thinking, you know who I bet absolutely had a fit and whatever, whatever food he might have been eating at the time probably hit the wall when he heard that the first time is Jim Steinman. Of course, yeah. It's probably, why the hell didn't I write that? Of course, <laughs> and, and, to, to, and also Terry Hall, you know, because rem you, you reminded me yesterday that the Fun Boy 3 did That's that right. song as well. Although yeah. I had it wrong. I thought they did it first. Cut I that out. Cut that out. My research I, is immaculate. And I had it, and I had it right. Yes. <laughs> anyway, whatever. Um, but yeah, I just love the idea that the Go-Go's, this LA band, were just touring around seasides in Britain. <laughs> but I love this idea of the big house in Belsize Park with the model and all these sort of various girl bands popping Sorry, in and out. I do, and I don't, because I'm wondering why you and I never, ever got invited got to that house. Yeah. I, but I was thinking, because I was trying to think what the equivalent would have been. There was only the slits, right, who were terrifying. Because I was thinking, cause it, the, the idea of an all-girl band is for when, you, when you're young, you know, we would have been in our teens, is like just so fantastic and so intimidating. Yeah, yeah. I, of course... Bananarama, I remember being at a, a TV show with Bananarama in Germany. And we were all, there was like a little bar set up uh, backstage for all the acts and various hangers on. And uh, Karen went up to the bar and she said, dry white wine. And they gave her three white wines. <laughs> Germany. Which actually was the perfect uh, number for Bananarama, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, but that was fantastic. And it was, uh, and I loved hearing about, especially about the old punk scene in LA. Do you know what we didn't mention as well? Brian Eno played on one of her albums. No, uh, that's right. He was on that list of, because it is a fan fantastic list of people she's had over the years. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Brian Eno on on viola, the album viola. Of course, he must. Of course, Brian plays on viola. <laughs> <laughs> he probably didn't play it, but just did treatments. Or he brought, yeah, yeah, sent some cards. Brought some trees. 
<laughs> anyway, we should we should laugh at Brian. We love Brian. We love anyway. Brian. We want him on the show. Come okay, on, Brian. thank you to our producer Ben Jones for Gimme Sugar, and we will see you next week. It's good night for me, and it's good night from them. Rock on Tours is produced by Gimme Sugar Productions for Warner Music Group UK. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yeah.